How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law, Thomas McCoy, and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. <laughs> Whoa, Tom, that was, that was wonderful. That was such an extension. I love that. Yeah, thank you. Where are you, Tom? So I'm actually... Uh, in the theater department of Bridgewater State University. I don't think I ever said this on the show, but I am actually back part-time uh, to finish a theater major. Uh, it's purely selfish. I just had a few credits left to mop up and I had that little Zagarnik effect going on. I'm like, you know what? I graduated with a minor at a time where I couldn't have double majored. So why not just go back? There you go. Doing the, uh, the department's production of Epic Proportions, which is a... Uh, a little comedy play. It's very Mel Brooksy in its tone, and uh, you know I'm doing this doing this for me, Doctor Joe. I gotta be honest. Well, you know, uh, you gotta post when it's on, but you know that is exactly the theme for the night. That you are doing it for you. That that theme of self help. So, with that in mind, could you please introduce our guest for tonight? You betcha, Doctor Joe. She is the founder of Doctor MC's Self Care Cabaret. She can help you take control of your health and well-being and find your spotlight. Welcome to the Dr. Joe Show, Dr. Teresa Melito Connors, a.k.a. Dr. MC. Yeah, welcome, Dr. MC. Woo, thanks. Uh, thanks for being here. That was quite an intro. <laughs> it, well, it's, it's you. It's you. So, Dr. MC, I am just so thrilled and excited that you come on the show. Let me just give folks a little bit of background. Um, I got a chance to watch Dr. MC help Riverside in self-help and self-care because it was such important. She's connected to one of our folks who is involved in our MAT, our medication-assisted treatment program. And I just wonder, could you just, just give us that little, that little flavor of, of how, did you, how did you connect with Riverside? How did you connect with what you're doing? Let's, yeah. let's hear the story. Sure, absolutely. So the person, the colleague that we share, um, I actually went to elementary school with all through um, high school and with Facebook and everything, you know, and keep tabs on what people are doing, even if you haven't seen somebody in a long time. So um, Amy reached out to me and asked me to join um, the staff at Riverside to do a two hour self-care workshop. And I was so excited to do it because I love to share my expertise on self-care and help people live healthier, happier, more productive lives. So we share that mission, Dr. Joe, which is quite exciting. And um, yeah, and the workshop went really well. I think folks were really into it and it was a great time. And I was also familiar with the work of Riverside because in my full-time position, my Dr. MC work is not full-time yet, although it certainly feels that way <laughs> a lot of the time. I have two full-time jobs. But um, anyway, in my day job, I am a um, special education administrator in a public school district north of Boston. And I am familiar with Riverside through my work there, as well as in a previous role where I worked for a trade association that supports all the private special ed schools in the state. So I've been involved in education for a long time. And I know Riverside has a lot of really wonderful programs, which is great. 
Thank you. Yeah, we do. And we're, we're so delighted to have Amy there with us. I'm just curious, um, how did you get into this whole field? Yeah. So actually, I was working at a private therapeutic day school in Massachusetts. It is um, in Watertown, Massachusetts, with a really challenging population of students. This was many years ago. I had fresh off my master's degree um, in school counseling, and I got hired at this therapeutic high school. And it was life-changing. It was a really challenging population of students, serious social emotional issues, early onset psychosis, eating disorders, suicide ideation and gesture. It, it was a lot. And I wanted to help these kiddos and they had so much potential and they were so had so many strengths. And it was really just a, a wonderful experience. But what I found really quickly was that it was difficult to take care of myself and to separate myself from the work. I kind of felt like you know, I was taking a lot of it home with me. I was really stressed out about my students because we would learn all about their background and the reasons that kind of brought them to the school that they were at and the struggles and, and all of that. And on one hand, it was so great to learn all that because it really helped you work with the students effectively. But on the other hand, it was also somewhat challenging if you didn't have the tools to manage all that information. So all of that to say it was a quick slide through burnout. And I made a comment to my program director at the time. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm struggling. Like, I'm really having a hard time. And, and she said to me, you're going to need to learn to not take this home with you. And I thought, well, okay, what does that mean? Um, you know, no further resources or guidance were provided. So it kind of sent me on a journey to research what did she mean? And at the time I thought it was just a me problem. Like, oh, well, this sounds like something I'm gonna have to solve for myself. So it led me to the works of Deepak Chopra and Wayne Dyer and Louise Hay and all these self-care experts that have come before me. And I realized, oh, this is not just a me problem. This is a really big thing that people need to learn how to take care of themselves and manage their stress and, and all of that. So you know, went back to the job, whatever, was there for a few years, really enjoyed it, did some great work. Then I found myself working for that trade association that I mentioned. And now I'm starting to hear these messages about how burned out teachers are and how stressed, now they really need these coping mechanisms and ways to just manage the tough jobs that they have. Then I started also tuning into what my mom was saying, who's a recently retired educator after 32 years also. And I'm like, okay, this is a huge issue in education period and so at that time then it was um i wanted to get a phd i thought that was would be a good idea and i went off to embark on that journey and pretty much from day one i knew that i wanted to study the effect that self-care has on leaders and teachers and if they practice it and promote it for their staff what can that do to change some of the challenges that we're experiencing in education so that all, and then I thought, why not share this out to the world and make a whole business out of it? So that's where we're at now. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so important. Um, it's funny, one of the things that I teach our medical students, residents, folks, the two rules, never worry alone and the therapist must survive. Mm, um, yeah. And, and some, somehow we, we get so caught up in our world that, well, why was it so difficult for you, do you think, to, to just leave it at work? Yeah, 
I don't think I had the skills at that time to set boundaries. Um, like I said, this was many years ago, fresh out of, you know, wide eyed out of grad school, going to change the world. And I think it was just a, a dose of reality about, um, like, the, like I said, the students had some intense stories and I don't think I was prepared for that. Um, and just hearing that and being a very empathetic person that I am, I took that on to start because I didn't have the tools to set those boundaries and take care of myself in the process. What was also uncovered later on that I didn't know at the time, I was actually suffering from my own mental health challenges with um, an eating disorder and, um, and disordered eating and exercise bulimia. And so I didn't, I didn't even recognize my own stuff back then. So I just think it was hard to set those boundaries. And it took me many years and lots of um, exploring of my own journey to kind of heal from that, my own challenges, but to also be really clear and intentional about setting those boundaries. I'm much better at it now. <laughs> yes, the boundaries. And I, I know you actually did a, a blog, you did a whole piece on boundaries as well. Yeah, a mini podcast episode a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, how, how do people get the mini podcast? Let's just get that out for now. How yeah, can they so, get there? Yep. So I have a bi-weekly podcast. It's under the same name as the business, Dr. MC's Self-Care Cabaret. So it's actually available on all major platforms. You can get to it on my website, drmcselfcare.com, or you can go to Apple and look me up or Spotify or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. But we did um, my husband is my podcast producer. And for the last several episodes, as we figured with folks going back to school, sometimes there isn't a lot of time in the early fall. So instead of doing the longer, maybe 45 minute episodes, we did 15 to 20 minute um, bite-sized podcast episodes, we called them. And one of them is on setting clear boundaries. Yeah. The reality is that so many people, I mean, don't do it. I mean, we're, we're, we're designed as human beings to survive. And yet, why, why is this such a difficult thing for people to do? Myself included, all of us. I'm sure we all have moments where it's difficult to do self-care. So what do you think, Dr. MC? Where is that from? I think it's from society because society is set up in such a way that you don't get a gold star when you put yourself first. Nobody gives you a pat on the back when you take a mental health day or you prioritize yourself. So we tend to go after things that, aren't necessarily important because society makes us feel that like, you know, money is the be all end all or whatever goal or achievement or education, like that's the be all end all when really we need to shift that back onto ourselves because I think self-care is the most important thing in the world and you can't do anything else until you're prioritizing your needs. Now that can look very different from person to person and that's what's really cool about it, but society gives us so much pressure and we're celebrated for things like pulling all-nighters or burning the candle at both ends or you know hustle culture and just being taken on all these things being busy and wearing that as it's some badge of honor we're not nobody's like oh wow you took a nap that's awesome whereas like except for me <laughs> and maybe dr joe but like you know what i mean we're not we're not celebrated for when we take the time to prioritize ourselves so it gets all twisted up and then we feel like it's selfish we feel like it's a luxury and also i don't think people really understand the true meaning of self-care i think you know there are still people that think it's mani pedis and overpriced bath products and maybe an occasional spa day 
So let's hear what's the meaning of self-care. <laughs> so the true meaning of self-care is really, I describe it as the foundational way you care for yourself. So the things that you do every day consistently over time so that you are really getting to the root of who you are so you can show up as the best you possible. And self-care is also should be performed like proactively. It's not a reactive process. You don't wait till you're, you know, completely overwhelmed and stressed. And then you're like, oh my God, let me drop, do a little down dog. And oh, is my self-care? I'm good for the next six months. Like, no, it's your foundation. It's what you do so you can stand tall and strong on a platform that meets all your needs and has you showing up as the best version of yourself. You know, I wish Mark Stiles was here because one of his phrases is it's better to be proactive than reactive. And that sounds exactly in sync with what you're saying. So how do we do this? What I've heard this thing about domains. So how do we do this? So my favorite framework to use for self-care actually comes from Dr. Cook Cotton um, in her work with the mindfulness scale and the domains. She's also done, um, you know, a lot of work in mindfulness and yoga and whatnot. Anyway, so she has the, the 10 domains and I really take those and kind of run with it in my opinion. So her 10 domains, let's see if I can do them from memory. So the first one is nutrition and hydration. So really important how we feed ourselves, how we honor our hunger, how we hydrate. You have to hydrate <laughs> PS. Um, then it goes into exercise. You also have to move your body really important. Then we look at soothing strategies. How do you like to soothe your body? What do you do to make sure you're, you're calm? Like that can be deep breathing. That can be tactile things, um, smell things, whatever. Um, again, you get to decide within these domains what works for you. Then we get into self-awareness and mindfulness. So making sure that you're, you know, what you're bringing to the table and that you're in the present moment. Then we also look at rest how you, you have to sleep, you have to rest. It's really important. I always tell people you have to wake up. You should wake up in the morning feeling rested and restored. And I always get a big chuckle out of that because most people don't wake up in the morning rested and restored. And that's a problem. We need to work on that. Another domain is relationships. So making time for people who are good to us, who support us, encourage us, believe in us, respect us. Then we look at our physical medical domain because you have to care for the physical body as well. Then we look at um, the environmental domain, how we are keeping the spaces that we inhabit, our offices, our classrooms, our homes, whatever, our cars, even any space that you spend time in, if it's chaotic and cluttered and disorganized, you can't relax in a space like that. Then we also look at self-compassion, which making sure that we're not talking about ourselves to ourselves or about ourselves in harsh, critical, judgmental ways. And then the last domain, I think I nailed them, uh, is the spiritual domain. And that is really seeing a larger purpose for yourself and feeling inspired and spending time with people and just doing things that make you feel like your efforts make a difference in the world. Mm-hmm. That was a really quick overview. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 I must admit, it, it seems doable. It seems there, you know, the I am approach has four domains, the biological domain, and you're talking a lot about 
events in the biological domain, yeah. but also the I see how I see myself, how I think other people see me, that's that self-awareness, and then the relationships in your home and social domain. Yeah. Um, how does someone start with this? Yeah. So I think it's really important to remember, and I, I certainly hope, you know, that the takeaway after tonight isn't, oh my God, now I got to do 10 things every right, single which is day. Just like, going to no, no. <laughs> stress people out even more, no, right? No. That's not the idea. Okay. Never. So, you know, I think that even just hearing those 10 domains, folks may already be like, oh, yikes, I, I probably struggle in that domain. You know, depending upon what self-awareness you have, you may be able to already know where your strengths and weaknesses lie within those domains. But even if you don't, you can kind of just pick one area that feels like you need some work there. You know, everybody has strengths and weaknesses. And for a lot of people, you know, just picking one new coping mechanism or one domain. So maybe it's sleep, for example, and just taking some time to research um, or, or read a blog post that I wrote on sleep tips or something like that. Um, and trying to work in that one domain can be really helpful before moving on to something else, or maybe it's movement. So mm. exercise, you know, maybe you just start adding in 10 minute walks during your day, just so you're getting up and you're moving. It never has to be extreme to be effective. And it doesn't have to be like intense and, you know, participate to, you know, just, crazy levels. It doesn't have to be that, but just moving your body can feel really good. I, I just want to come back to this. We started discussing why is this so difficult for people to do? Yeah. And they don't see it as a priority. They see everything else as a priority, like the job. And then I think people get, you know, twisted up in their own little little worlds and their responsibilities. And there's a lot going on. I mean, we have a lot of responsibilities, full-time jobs, families, partners, other responsibilities, second jobs, other obligations and things that we have to do. And people feel like this is just something that would be nice. When in reality, this is first, self-care right. is first before you can do anything else. I think self-care yeah. is self-care. But, but I, it's such an important message. But, you know, we spend a lot of time trying to be valued by other people. Um, it's part of who we are as human beings. We need it to feel valued by other people in our tribe or else we'd be kicked out and we could be lunched for some predator. Yeah. But, but it seems like we've taken that really far. When... What, what is the first step that we can do so that I can begin saying, it's okay to take care of myself? As a matter of fact, the more I do that, the more I can actually take care of other people. Have you found resistance to that in the, in the folks that, that you're working with? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, those people need to spend more time with you and I, Dr. Joe. <laughs> I think that's really the takeaway. No, You're but welcome. of course. And especially, you know, as teachers, they're like, well, I don't have, I don't have time for this. But really what I hope to do in my work is show people that you can actually do quite a bit of self-care that takes very little time. And most of it can be accessed for free, which is another misconception that self-care has to be this, you know, expensive, luxurious experience. Of course, that's awesome if you can do that, but that's not real life that we can have, you know, spa days just all day long, every day. But 
you know, one example that comes to mind is one of my favorites to share. A girlfriend of mine was on my podcast several months ago and we were talking about self-care tips. And she said that every morning before she jumps out of bed to start her day, she takes one minute to essentially meditate, Hmm. practice mindfulness, whatever you want to call it. She lies in bed for just one minute before she jumps into her day. And just giving herself that pause, that kind of moment to just check in with herself that one, one minute, that's all it takes before she starts her day has, she experiences a lot of benefits from that. And on days where for whatever reason, she doesn't do it, she doesn't feel as good about herself. So I think too, people need to start and start small, but then once they start to feel the benefits, you won't be able to stop. Hmm. It's, it's such an important tool to be able to recognize, to care for yourself. And I think it's important for people to know it doesn't mean that you don't have the compassion or the dedication to the rest of your work. Oh. I think a lot of people feel guilty. You know, wait, 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 wait. I'm, I'm, I'm taking away from my kids. I'm taking away from my work. I'm taking away from... Absolutely. Off air, I was asking about how the word cabaret came into this. So Dr. MC, can you... Just review with that. Yeah. So the self-care cabaret, I mean, it's me. It's just, first of all, it's a great, I think it's a great title. My husband and I came up with it. And um, when I was looking for a way to start sharing my expertise with the world towards the end of my doctoral program, we came up with this um, kind of idea, which I didn't know where it would go at that time. I'm still not sure uh, where it's going to go, but it's going and it's really cool. So to back up, I've been on the stage since I was three years old dancing and pretty hardcore into dance up until uh, about sophomore year in high school. And I had been in and out of Boston Ballet, Ballet Theater of Boston, dancing um, ballet at a pretty um, intense level. But at about 16 years old, I realized I wasn't built like a ballerina. Um, mm. So you can interpret that as you as you wish. And I thought, hmm, I don't know about this. And I was realizing, you know, other girls were getting parts maybe not based on talent, maybe based on them fitting a certain um, aesthetic that ballerinas typically have. And I thought, hmm, I don't know. So I happened to see a flyer for the high school musical at my school back then. And it was Once Upon a Mattress. And I thought, well, this sounds fun. There's dancing. Let's go try this. And I never looked back. I still love ballet to death, but um, musical theater is just next level for me. And so I successfully got cast in that musical i also did some choreography for that show and then i went on the following year starred in the musical fame at my high school which was so much fun and then from there it was like well i'm gonna go to amerson college for my undergraduate degree in theater and no one's talking me out of it and that's what happened and i for a short period of time was heading back and forth to new york for various auditions i was working in boston uh, pretty regularly either choreographing or performing And I mean, it was so much fun. I've done a bunch of Hollywood feature films also um, as a background. Like what? uh, Like what? What have have you done? I want to hear about this. So the first one I did actually came up my time hop today, 15 years ago, like today. Um, My Best Friend's Girl was my first one. It was a movie with Dane Cook and Kate Hudson. Um, And I think I worked on that movie for like two or three weeks in like four or five different scenes. Even my car got involved one scene. It was wild. Um, so much fun though. I also was in the movie, the women, uh, which had a whole host of, um, really, uh, big name actresses. 
Uh, I did was in a scene in Mall Cop. I did a couple of commercials. I did a Toyota commercial. Um, I did a couple. I did a Godsmack music video. (laughs) There was a lot. It feels like another lifetime ago. But um, and, you know, back and forth to New York for auditions and whatnot. So then I realized, though, that wasn't a stable enough career for me, truthfully. And it was taking the joy out of something that was really important and special to me and that's performing. And so I realized, okay, I don't, I don't know if this is quite going to work. My last audition in New York was for Cirque du Soleil and it was a train wreck in my opinion. And, um, you know, I w- did not get cast and it was just a really challenging experience. And I thought, all right. So I wound up um, substitute teaching back in my community where I had grown up. And next thing you know, I got hired as a secretary working for the Metco program. And I fell in love working with the students and being back in the high school. And I thought a lot of what I was doing at that time in the Metco office was more related to the role of a guidance counselor as opposed to a secretary, even though I was being paid as a secretary. And that actually inspired me to go back and get my master's degree in school counseling, which kind of set me on a whole nother trajectory. But, you know, it's funny now with what I do with the Dr. MC self-care cabaret, it's performing. It still, it still fills that same um, need for me, um, getting up in front of people and talking to them and sharing my expertise. And um, it still kind of fills that same um, piece of me. So it's kind of fun. It's kind of all the pieces coming together quite nicely, I think. And um, here we are. I totally resonate with that, having had a slight career in theater myself. Yeah. But, but did you find when you were doing the dance in the theater that self-care was a problem? Or was it, was it sort of more intuitive back then? I don't know that it was intentional, though. Hmm. I don't think, like, I feel like back then it wasn't really talked about as much. Mm-hmm. And it was like, now I see dance teachers bringing mindfulness and breathing exercises and things. And, and although I was practicing and training at Boston Ballet and Ballet Theater of Boston, I never remember being told to breathe like mm-hmm. ever and, or to take care of myself. It was a really push, push, push more, 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 um, type of mm, industry. And it really didn't, wasn't um, setting me up definitely for self-care success back then. So I think I adopted some bad habits um, during some of those time periods. But, you know, cause now looking back, I can remember, you know, you get an injury or, you know, something's not right. You just push through it. Um, yeah. you don't really listen to your body as much as you should. At least I didn't. And I don't remember that being the message. I remember the messaging being more like, you know, tough up, toughen up. Yeah, I, I was listening to one of your blogs and, and there was that wonderful phrase about your body, mm. your body whispering versus shouting. Oh, yeah, I love that. I don't know. I didn't come up with that quote, but I can't figure out who it's attributed to. But it's um, if you listen to your body when it whispers, you won't have to hear it scream. Yeah. And that's just like, oh, I like feel that in my body when I say that. Yeah. So how, how do people, first of all, find you so that they can begin this journey for themselves? Because it sounds like a journey. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you have to be willing to, you know, take the step to 
start to learn and prioritize yourself. And, um, you know, I'm all over social media at Dr. MC, DRMC, self-care, Instagram and Facebook are my two biggest, um, places right now, but also I being pushed to go on TikTok. We'll see how that goes. Hmm. Um, not yet on TikTok, but, and then my website, you know, and the podcast and all that stuff. And I do offer trainings to schools, businesses, and organizations on topics related to self-care, trauma recovery, growth mindset, and strengthening your work-life balance, because that is such a huge issue, even outside the industry of education. So how do we do that? How do we strengthen our work-life balance? Yeah, I think it starts with you really taking inventory of what you have going on in your life and prioritizing yourself and being able to set your own boundaries. But then we also have to, we also have the, the employers also have to do work in that regard also and be willing to listen and be willing to review policies and be willing to let go of just ideas that are outdated. Like if COVID has done one thing and one thing really well, it would show us, it is showing us that the way things were was not how, like they cannot continue that way. And so, you know, a lot of people haven't even returned to the office two and a half years later here and people haven't, you know, but, but some employers are still like panicked over that, that their productivity is going to tank. And actually the data that's emerging right now is showing the opposite, that people would rather forego i read an article in harvard business review this month people would rather forego a thirty thousand dollar raise than be forced back into the office that tells you something about priorities and the shift and i think we're seeing a huge paradigm shift in people really beginning to prioritize themselves and i think covid showed us that the way we were going about things was not sustainable and do you find that there is resistance from the employer? I think there is. I think definitely um, some industries are doing it better than others. I think in education, um, they'll probably be the last one to kind of pick up on it. I mean, teachers are leaving at alarming rates. We're, we are in crisis in education in this country right now. We were brewing. This, this issue was brewing pre-COVID. Um, and now it is, I, in my opinion, a full-blown crisis. And I'm not sure what it's going to take for the system to respond. But so far, it, it um, you know, it's kind of just been trying to keep things status quo as the things, as the way things were and go back to, you know, the great reset or going back to the way they were. We can't go back to the way they were. That's not an option. We're forever changed as a society and as people moving forward. So the industries are going to need to change with us or they're going to crumble. And in the education system, how, how do you apply this, not just to the teachers, but to the students that they're teaching? Yeah. Can, they, can they model this for? Absolutely. So when you think about those domains and some of the things that I talk about, like soothing strategies, for example, I teach a lot of breathing practices and deep breathing exercises is one of my favorite things. People are always amazed at how good they feel after just taking like three deep breaths. And so if you do that and you start to cultivate these practices for yourself, of course you can promote them for your students or for clients or whoever you are uh, working with. I, think, I hope people understand that there really is science behind this as well so the the deep breathing benson did this deep breathing stuff years ago you increase nitrous oxide 
when you do the deep breathing. Nitrous oxide is laughing gas that some dentists will use. The other part is the stress that we have felt during COVID. How do you think that has influenced people's awareness that, you know, I, I need to take care of myself because there's a virus out there that could get me. Yeah. Yeah, I think people are paying attention more. And they're just, I think maybe they got scared during COVID. Maybe they lost a loved one. Maybe they got sick themselves. I mean, I'll be honest, I got COVID this past June and, you know, vaxxed and boosted and all that good stuff. And it's the sickest I've ever been. And I, I think knock on wood, I'm a pretty healthy individual and um, it was no fun. Like I would not wish that upon anyone. And so, you know, I'm very grateful that it didn't end up, you know, in a hospitalization or any long-term effects that I'm aware of. So, you know, I think people rightfully so are a little scared and need to, are realizing that they need to, to shift their thinking, but it's not going to be easy and people will resist it. And if you have leaders at the top that don't buy into it, that's going to be very challenging also. Um, but hopefully, you know, as time goes on, people will really begin to take care of themselves and prioritize their needs first. Do you think some people are discouraged about how far they along they are in the opposite direction? that they haven't taken care of themselves? Oh, absolutely. Um, and one of the things that happens, I have this assessment that I like to give folks um, that actually is Dr. Cook Cotton's um, assessment. I think we did it in the Riverside um, mm -hmm. workshop. And I always say to people, I must've said it six times throughout the thing. This is not to make you feel bad. <laughs> like, right. Please don't feel bad. And I find that when I give that, I don't know, to teachers and helping professionals in particular, they tend to really internalize it. And they're like, oh my God, I failed. It's like, no, no, you didn't fail. Like now you just have room to grow. But um, yeah, it's definitely challenging. And that's why I always tell people, you know, don't try to dive in and like fix everything you know, immediately that, that is not sustainable. But if we get to those little things, those small changes, little shifts that you can make mm -hmm. over time have a dramatic impact. And I know that's one of your big messages too, Dr. Joe. Absolutely. Those small changes can have a big effect. You control no one, you influence everyone. We were off air. You were telling me a story about someone on Oprah. Yeah. Yeah. So Cheryl Richardson, who's another self-care expert out of Newberry, Port, Massachusetts, and I love her work. And she was tells a story in one of her books about being on Oprah. And this had to be back in, in like the 90s. And um, she made a comment that new moms need to practice self-care and prioritize themselves. And that's their number one priority. And she was actually booed on Oprah. And then she had to explain more. And and she still stands by that that. And I do too, that you you care no use to anyone else if you are not taking care of yourself. You cannot be a husk of a person and still be have any energy to give. You're, you're no use to anyone. It, it does seem still such a challenge for so many. So why do you think people were booing? Oh, I think it was just such a radical idea. And you got to figure too, like back 20, 30 years ago, these things, it wasn't quite as mainstream now. I mean, now self-care is a trending term on social media and people are, you know, they're using it to sell you things you don't need a lot of the times, but that's a whole nother story. But I think that, you know, somebody thinking that they still prioritize their needs, even as a new mom was just such a radical idea that people, um, people reacted very strongly to her. 
so funny that it would be a radical idea then. And yet it's, <laughs> it's, it still is. I mean, still I think radical it, idea. you know, it still feels like, and again, for me, it's, it's sort of baffling because we are these biologically driven organisms designed to try to survive. And it seems like we've just shifted over. Like if I am not valued by other people, then I have no value. Yeah. Self-care is a little rebellious. And that's why I like it too. One of my favorite quotes about self-care, we didn't mention this one yet, is by Audre Lorde said in 1988 as a political rally cry against an oppressive culture. And her words were, caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It is self-preservation. And that is Mm. an act of political warfare. Like that's rebellious to kind of take the power back and prioritize yourself. So is part of the resistance, the fear that so many people will shift this perspective and this priority that they won't take care of other people? I think the resistance is that capitalism will suffer that businesses will suffer and you won't, you know, if you have people that are now realizing their worth and prioritizing themselves, they won't necessarily be willing to accept crumbs anymore. And I think that is part of the fear. Hmm. So I know that at at Riverside, I'm, I'm very proud because we really are trying to, and that's, that's why we had you there, Dr. MC was, was to remind our, our folks who are working with us that this is really hard work. And in order to, to do it successfully, which means caring for others, because that, that is this is a service work in the same way that, that education is a service work, yeah. um, that they have to be able to leave this at work and go home and care for themselves so they can come back the next day. Yeah. Do you find that the the folks that you are talking with can get that? I think they can get there. Yeah. I think we can make that shift, but I think starting small is a really key component and you have to just, I mean, like Nike says, just do it because I even Mm -hmm. find like, I even feel a little guilty. Like recently this school year, I've decided, you know, every day I need to get outside weather permitting for at least 10 minutes and just walk. I I pace up and down the street (laughs) and, (laughs) um, you know, I even feel a little guilty, but I know that when like, you know, I'm starting to hit that like afternoon or like late morning slump. So I can either sit at my desk and continue slogging through my work, or I can get up take a quick walk and come back. And I just feel like ready. Like I'm ready to take on the afternoon and it's just so much better for me. But yet, like, I feel, I do feel a little guilty about, I still do it, but you know, like there is still that like inner voice that's buried there where it's like, Ooh, is this okay to do this? Yeah, of course it's okay to do this. Do it. Yeah. You you know, with, with that in mind, what about the parents of, of some of these special needs kids? Yeah. Do how, how can they access their own self-care? Yeah, I mean, the same way, those domains really, all of that applies to really everyone. I think it goes back to getting in touch with what's going to work for you and what you really enjoy and giving yourself permission that if you start something and you don't like it, it's okay to stop. 
and find something that is going to bring you joy and it is going to make you feel good in your body and that you're taking the time to do those things and prioritizing those as non-negotiables. Without guilt. Without guilt. How how guilt influences people's behaviors is remarkable. Have you found that as well? That people say, I I can't do this. Absolutely. And I do a lot of telling people, yes, you can. <laughs> yes, you can. But it's hard. I mean, some, sometimes we're, we're chipping away at, you know, decades of, of programming and, and guilt messaging that we've internalized. And a lot of us as helping professionals, we have been programmed in a way. So to make this shift takes intentionality and it takes some work, but it's worth it. It is. And, and you know, the if there's a trend going, because in, in my field of mental health, we have a lot of like, high-level psychiatrists and other psychologists, social workers, who are coming out and saying, I, I have depression, I have bipolar, and I need to be able to care for myself. I'm modeling for other people how to do that. Um, is this part of of your modeling as well, Dr. MC? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love, I'm pretty open. So I tend to share with people different experiences or if I hear someone, you know, especially when it comes to like those um, really unhelpful diet culture messaging and stuff like that. Like I'm not afraid to stand up and be a voice because I know there are a lot of people that aren't able to do that. So I try not to shy away from being vulnerable and and sharing my experiences, especially if it's going to help someone. So, you know, I hope some of the staff and teachers are seeing me pacing up outside the school. And if they ask me, I'm going to tell them I'm taking my, my 10 minute walk and that's what I'm doing. And you should do it also. Or, uh, you know, cause it's just, we tend to just get so focused and we got it. We have so much to do and so many things. And then we just, we don't take care of ourselves. That's what's get lo- that's what gets lost. And again, modeling it for other people. So important. You know, with that in mind, the I am suggests that we're always doing the best we can. This is who I am. This is my current maximum potential influenced by the four domains of your home domain, the social domain, the biological domain of your brain and body, and the I see, how I see myself how I think other people see me. Because the four domains interconnect, a small change can have a big effect. You don't need to change everything and get overwhelmed. So Dr. MC, given our topic tonight, what small change can you recommend to our listeners so that they can begin their self-care? Yeah, we've talked about so many things. I mean, I think, you know, folks review back those domains and might think about maybe they want to start taking a 10 minute walk. I think that would be great. But we can even take it much simpler than that with one of my favorite mindfulness practices which asks um you know every day to ask yourself what went well because we tend to focus on the negative Mm -hmm. and when you focus on the negative and what didn't go well and what we wish we said what we didn't say and we just get in our own little shame spiral see if you can just shift that thinking and ask yourself what went well instead and see what happens Mm -hmm. and as you start to cultivate these practices over time and you, you will feel the benefits and you'll want more. And then you can start to add on more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great paradigm shift. One of the things I talk with, with 
the folks who have gone through all sorts of traumas, they say, with all you've been through, how come you're not doing worse? You know, what is so strong about you? Yeah. So the second truth of the I am, everyone's got one. Everyone is interested in what you think or feel about them. And you know, it feels differently when you feel respected or disrespected. So the IC has this effect on the biological domain. You're part of someone's home or social domain. What this means is everyone is interested in what you think or feel about them, which means you control no one, but you influence everyone. You get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. Dr. Teresa Melita Connors, what kind of influence do you want to be? I want to be a strong, steady influence that's positive, that helps people take control of their health and well-being so they can find their spotlight and live their best lives. I really such a, want to help people. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that is also part of self-help, self-care, isn't it? When you do help yeah. other people, but as long as you're able to set that boundary, contribute to humanity to help retain your sanity mm. is one of my phrases. So nice. we can do that too. Dr. MC, I, I, I so appreciate you being here tonight. Once again, how can people find you and read your yeah. blogs and listen to your podcasts? Absolutely. So my website again is drmcselfcare.com. You can sign up for my newsletter. Um, I don't, I spend, send like a letter, uh, email a month, not, not be spamming you or anything like that. But I'm also very active on social media, Instagram and Facebook at Dr. MC Self-Care and the Dr. MC Self-Care Cabaret podcast is available new episodes bi-weekly on all major platforms. Um, we've been doing it for about a year and a half now. So you get quite a back catalog to get caught up on if you want, or, you know, join us in whenever the next one is out next week, whatever works for you. But there's a lot of content there to choose, choose from. And we talk about so many things related to self-care and it's a lot of fun. And can people also like reach you through there if they want you to come and give a talk to their agency like you did for Riverside? Oh, absolutely. Yes. So on my website, there's a booking form that you can use um, to fill out. Just give me sign of some ideas of what you're um, looking for for a session. Or if you just want to email me or you know DM me on Instagram, uh, it's only me checking all these things at this moment in time. So I'll be, get right back to you and we can chat about what might fit your organizational needs and we'll take it from there. But absolutely. It's great. Thank you so much for, for sharing your wisdom with everyone tonight. I, I hope people realize you are allowed to care for yourself. So thanks. Folks, we'll see you next week on the Dr. Joe Show. Thanks, Dr. MC. Thank you. Stretch the